0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John 7, 40 through 52. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is this Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said, The Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Glad to be with you once again this morning. Uh, I am delivering the word of God this morning, and I am... Very happy uh, this morning. I think that when we when we step into a space of delivering God's word, I always try to remember that we who are called to be teachers, uh, James three one says, will be judged more harshly for what we are going to say. So I take that weight very seriously. That in the next thirty minutes, what I will be saying, I will be judged in the future for. If you're wondering who I am, my name is Marcus and I'm one of the pastors here. If you've been gone for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you said, man, where is Dave? Dave is still here. Uh, We are are here and we are going. Obviously, I I come from a tradition of preachers and pastors and church traditions where our lot is more dialogical. Uh, So we prefer as pastors and preachers to hear from the congregation. So I'm getting you ready now in your living room. For in four, six months, eight months, 18 months, I hope it's not 18 months, till we get back in in person. So if you're on your couch this morning, you're in your kitchen, feel free to say amen along with me. Feel free to touch your neighbor and say, hey, did you hear what he just said? That's okay. We'll work together as we grow together uh, as a people of God. So let me open up in a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be just my mouthpiece. Uh, do as you wish, as you, as you want uh, in this service, preaching of the word. Lord, I thank you for what you've given me in my mind in the study and in the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit and the time that I spent thinking and writing and, and acknowledging your presence uh, this week over, over the past two weeks, actually, for this, for this sermon. Father God, I'm so grateful that you've called me and I'm grateful for the people that you've called me to here in Tucson. In Jesus name. Amen. This morning, as Mary so kindly read, we are in the book of John. So pick me up in John chapter 7, uh, verses 40 to 52, towards the end of the chapter. Um, Thank you, Mary, for reading. I appreciate it. And uh, the book of John is filled with a lot of ironies, which irony, uh, dramatically, if you think of things that are happening That maybe the people in the story don't quite understand or the writer has purposely placed in the narrative. John has done a masterful job in these 12 verses to actually explore and share with us the irony that I'm going to try to draw out this morning. Uh, The irony. Have you, my question to you this morning is, have you had the opportunity to be corrected on something you've done your whole life that it turned out? you were wrong in doing, the way you were doing it was incorrect. Have you had a hobby or something that you've done for years and years that you've done it this way and you meet somebody you're like, no, that's not how you do it. I spent a few short months in the United States military, in the Army. And I remember the day that we were heading out to the range to go and shoot, finally get a chance to shoot our M16s, finally get to practice on the targets. And my drill sergeant looked at us, he said, if you have shot a gun before and have been shooting guns all your life, this is actually going to be harder for you. Because you've done it a certain way all your life. And now you're gonna learn the way to do it, the way the United States Army does it. The same thing happened to me when I first got married and Annie and I were sitting in a car and we were driving. And this, happened, this still happens to me, by the way. And we're listening to, to songs and I, in my mind, I have some lyrics that I like to, I like to sing, right? And sometimes I'll start singing the lyrics and she'll be like, uh, "Uh, no, that's not it. No, that's not it, right? Some things that we've always done are hard to change. It's hard to turn course when, you, when you've been doing something all your life. This is what's going on in this passage. So there are three sets of people in this passage. One group, as Mary read, are the people who said Jesus is the Messiah. One group says, I, I think he's a prophet. And then there's another group, the religious leaders who say, no, we're, we're still skeptical. We're not quite sure who he is. We're not quite sure he is the real deal, if you will. This morning, I've titled this sermon, if you can be sure of one thing in life, be sure of your need for Jesus. If you can be sure of one thing in life, be sure of your need for Jesus. So my question is, is Jesus the real deal? Is he who he says he is? Is he legit? How do we know that he's legit? In this scene, there's chaos, right? Three different views. Some people are saying, oh, he's a prophet. Some people are saying, oh, he is the Christ, the Messiah that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. But others are questioning where he came from. The religious leaders who have spent their entire lives believing one thing who has spent their entire life around religious people studying where the most suspicious of Jesus, right? But when they try to arrest Jesus in this scene, the the men who go to arrest them say to the Pharisees, they say, no one's ever spoke like this man. No one's ever spoke like this man. I want you to imagine Dave and myself sitting down and listening to some preacher from out of town and you come up to us and say, no one's ever spoke like that guy. How does that make us feel? How do you think the Pharisees feel when this supposed man who is untrained, never spent time in a seminary, probably never read any of the books or done other studies with the leaders, is teaching and the people are understanding. The people are following. The crowds are building. People are convinced that he is the Messiah. Their insecurities the Pharisees' insecurities are mounting. What does it mean? Because he's offering, Jesus is offering something that the Pharisees cannot offer. He's offering something that a human heart desperately needs which is change and relationship while the Pharisees are offering rules and laws. There's something freeing about what Jesus is saying, not constricting. Constricting. that our human heart desires more than rules without relationship. We are desperate for more than law without context. The Pharisees are facing a decision. Do I believe this man or do I stick with what I have known all of my life? Can I keep singing my same old lyrics or do I want to follow this man? See, there's a danger here for all of us. Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we place ourselves... In the role of the, the perfect person, right? We, when we think of the Pharisees, we think, oh, I would have never done that. I would have never been that. But in fact, we are in those seats. There's a danger here, not just for religious leaders, but for us. Some of us have been, all of us, some of us, not all of us, some of us have been in religious services all our from nursery, children's ministry, youth group, young adults, you know the transitions as we move further and further. We know what we know, that we know, that we know, that we know, and we know the rules. We know what church is like. We understand church culture. We even know how to get around the rules. You know it. But have we missed Jesus? Jesus. In following the rules, have we missed Jesus? Like I said before, if there is one thing we can be sure of this morning, we can be sure of our need for Jesus. Jesus, in this passage, gives an invitation. As he speaks, the people are, are, are gathering and trying to understand. He gives a better invitation to a life that is way different than rules. A certain generation of Americans will know this all too well, generation probably over 50 or so, maybe over 60, knew that their parents had come through Ellis Island or their grandparents had come through Ellis Island. Those people who came through Ellis Island came with a dream. They came with an idea of what America was like. They came with a hope. The poem that is at Ellis Island was written by a woman named Emma Lazarus on Ellis Island. And this poem really captures the hope that people had. And she writes, this is what the poem says. She writes, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. This plaque is at Island He said, what does it have to do with Jesus? This was the invitation that America offered to millions of people coming in. This was the reason people climbed aboard ships, leaving their hometowns, leaving their home countries, endured months at sea, risking their whole family, the whole lifestyle, to come to a new place. They left because of the ability that things, of the possibility that things would be better. Jesus is offering a similar invitation, right? An invitation that says, come, you weary and broken. Come, you thirsty and dying. Come and find life in me. Leave everything you've ever known and come. When offered a better life, right, people take it. When, when we offer something that is completely new and different, and you can see it clearly, we, we, we leave what we, what we have and we take what we need. If Jesus is is legit, if he is the son of God, how did the Pharisees miss it? How did the people who had studied so much, who should have clearly seen that this man is Messiah, how did they miss it? How did they miss it? Deeper question I'm asking this morning, not how did the Pharisees miss it. We'll walk through that in the passage. A deeper question I'm asking Are you missing it? It's easy for us to say, oh, the Pharisees, they missed it. They were church leaders, the pious. They were Dave and I. In our culture, right? They're all of us. We, like the Pharisees, can get it wrong. This is the irony in the story. We can get it wrong. We can be sincerely wrong, right? Right? The Pharisees missed it in two ways. One, Jesus' birthplace, right? They had ignorance about his lineage and his birthplace, right? He was from Galilee, but we all know he was born in, say it with me, Bethlehem, right? They missed it through his lineage. He was from the line of David, verse 41 and 42, if you read. See, the Pharisees had done their homework, but their homework wasn't done, like they say back home. They had done their homework, but their homework weren't done. When I was in school, some of you can identify with this. I wasn't a terribly great student, especially in high school. And I would try my best to study for tests, right? I would study sincerely, right? But sometimes I studied the wrong thing. You ever walk into the classroom? (laughs) This happened to me many times. You sit down on test day. You know, there's anxiety in the room. You can feel it. (laughs) You look over, you look here. You see, you're you're studying chapter 4, and you notice everybody else is studying chapter (laughs) 6. You you have the list of vocab words, and you notice people actually preparing to write an essay. (laughs) No matter how seriously I studied chapter 4, no matter how seriously I studied the vocab, I had done the wrong work. The Pharisees had done their homework. But their homework wasn't done. They were sure of everything but Jesus. This morning, I urge you to be sure of one thing in your life. is your need for Jesus. There's more irony in the story that John unpacks. He says, if it wasn't so sad, this would be funny. He said in verse 50, Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees comes up to Jesus. And he says this. Well, he came up to Jesus in John 3. In verse 50, he says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man first without giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus is saying, doesn't the law that we all studied say we should do this? We should give this man a hearing? See, the Pharisees weren't trying to give Jesus a hearing. They were wanting him arrested and killed. The law keepers... The folks who claim to have done their homework are not keeping the law. Right? The hypocrisy there, the irony is clear. They want Jesus arrested and killed for more than not just doing his homework. And what do they respond? In verse 51, they say, are you from Galilee too? Asking Nicodemus, are you from Galilee? Their bias against the people from Galilee informed their ignorance. They just wanted Jesus out. Because if they would have done their homework. If they would have actually studied, they would know that many other prophets, in fact, did come from Galilee. They had done their homework, but their homework wasn't done. Here's the difference between Nicodemus and the rest of the Pharisees. Here's what I hope you grasp onto. Nicodemus had humbled himself back in John chapter three. Right? And he came to Jesus in the dark of night, and he said, how can a man be born again when he is old? He came out from beyond the veneer of religion. He came out from beyond his high office. What does it take to be saved? Pharisees don't want to do that. They want to keep singing the same old lyrics. That they've been singing all this time. They want to keep going down the highway 75 miles an hour, don't want to turn around. See, it takes humility to repent. What about you? Have you humbled yourself? Have you had a one on one with Jesus? Do you trust that He is who He says He is? Is He legit? See, He's not just a good teacher or a prophet, in our country today, let me bring it home a little bit, in our city today, I meet all these people, and we all do, ones who say, Jesus was a prophet or a good teacher, but some of them are skeptical. He can't be the real deal. Who do you say he is? Here's the truth, right? As I close, let me urge you not to miss it, not to miss Jesus right in front of you. The Pharisees missed it, and he was standing right in front of them. They focused on the wrong thing. They had studied for the wrong test. They were wrong because he was born in Bethlehem. He was from the line of David. And some of the prophets had been born, like I said before, had been born. Jonah, Elijah, Nahum, all of these prophets that they had read, they had studied, quote-unquote, were born in Galilee, were from Galilee. They had done their homework, but the homework wasn't done. Jesus is clearly who he says he is. And it's not really about his genes, not blue genes, physical genes. And it's not about the geography of where he came from. See, Jesus holds all the offices that he claims to hold. He has all authority, and all authority has been given to him from God. It's not about his genes or geography. It's about who he came from. Right? Matthew 28 said, right? No one, Matthew 28, 18, no one had ever heard anybody speak like he did. This is why some people will say religion is about where you were born. I hear that all the time. Religion is where you were born. If you were born in Asia, You'd probably be a Buddhist. If you're born in Africa, you do different things. You're born in South America, you do different things. Right? And sometimes I answer that question and say, yes, you're right. Religion is about that. But Christianity is about Jesus. Jesus is not geography based, Um, he's not genealogically claimed, if you will. It's almost like people say your religious palette is developed based on where you grew up. This is why I believe strongly that cultural Christianity is very dangerous. This is why people can be churchgoers through their life and somehow miss Jesus. People can grow up in a quote, Christian home and come to know the Lord later. I have known people who have gone through seminary and then finally got saved. Or the opposite happened. People grow up in a Christian environment and then re- reject religion altogether. They have been sold what the Pharisees had. They have been sold. They have been sold laws and rules. Anybody hearing me this morning? In some parts of this country, preachers have to convince people who are lifelong churchgoers that they're not, they're not actually following Jesus. Believe me, that's really hard. People have been in church all their life. Pharisees are like this. They've been there all their life. And you have to convince them that Jesus is the one. This is very serious. If I had a dime, like people say, for every time I sat on a plane, on a bus, on a train, at a restaurant, at a party, and someone asked, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I say, I'm a pastor. And they said, and they will say, well, at first, after the shock of, oh, what have I been saying for the last 10 minutes in front of this pastor? After that wears off, right? And they will say to me, say, you know what, Marcus? I grew up in a Christian home. But I don't go to church anymore. Because of rules. The Pharisees were masters of rules. Jesus is the master of relationship and salvation. Right? When it comes to religion, the Pharisees own that realm. But when it comes to religion and when it comes to salvation and relationship, Jesus is where we point to. Amen. It's not hard, it's hard, I should say, to be far down the road of religion and have to turn around and have to make a U-turn, right? This is what the Pharisees are facing. Something deep is in your pride. You're like, no, I've been doing this all my life. I have to be right. I, I've, are you trying to tell me that I wasted all these, all these years studying? I've, I've been going through the wrong thing? It's hard to turn around when you're going in the wrong direction. See, underneath the Pharisees' refusal to see, underneath the blindness, is actually pride. And the pride is in all of us. This guy, this Jesus, this man who's new in town and is preaching something that people have never heard, but they're captivated by, is the one, is the Messiah, is the one that we ought to follow. The Pharisees are worried about the synagogues being empty now. What's going to happen to my livelihood? What's going to happen to me? Right? I wouldn't allow pride to get in the way of your salvation this morning, I will not assume that everyone who is sitting and hearing me this morning has come to know Jesus one-on-one. If you have not had a one-on-one and sat down and said, Lord, I need to know you better than I know you now. Now is the time, right? If you can be sure of one thing at the end of today, I want you to be sure of your need for Jesus. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you for your grace that is poured out. Thank you for Jesus, who is strong enough to hear and take our lives and make make something out of them. If you are watching me this morning, you say, Lord, I need to know you one-on-one. It's not about just a simple prayer. It's about starting a relationship with Jesus. I urge you to contact us. Say, I'm ready to start a relationship. I'm sick of religion. Heavenly Father, if you're piercing the heart right now, make it clear, Lord. Religion is not the answer. Never got anyone anywhere. Jesus is the answer. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. It is in your mighty name I pray. Amen.